Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap. And as always, I'm Nagy Spaulding and we are going to finish up Lamentations 3 today. And so we're going to be looking at verses 43 all the way to the end, which is verse 66. So this is Lamentations 3, 43 all the way to the end. You enveloped us in anger and pursued us. You slew and showed no pity. You enveloped yourself in a cloud that prayer could not pass through. Filth and disgust you made us. In the midst of the peoples, they gaped with their mouths upon us, all our enemies. Terror and trap, they were for us, shearing and shattering. Rivers of tears my eye does shed for the shattering of my people. My eye streams and is not still, without respite, till the Lord look out and see from the heavens. My eyes have dealt ill to me for all the daughters of my city, They have ensnared me like a bird, my enemies for no cause. They have cut off my life in a pit and cast stones at me. Waters whelmed over my head. I thought, I am gone. I called your name, O Lord, from the bottommost pit. My voice you have heard. Do not shut your ear to my sigh, to my cry. You drew close on the day I called you. You said, do not fear. You pleaded, O Master, my cause. You redeemed my life. You have seen, O Lord, the wrong done to me. Grant me justice. You have seen all their vindictiveness, all their schemes against me. You have heard their insults, O Lord, all their schemes against me, the slurs of my foes and their prattle against me all day. Look on their sitting and their rising. I am the theme of their taunts. Pay them back for their deserts, O Lord. According to their own acts, give them anguish of the heart. You curse upon them. Pursue them in wrath and destroy them from beneath the heavens of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, if you were following along yesterday and we're listening to this guy and we're like, okay, there are a lot of of reasons to hope, right? There are so many great things to call upon the name of the Lord and remember who God is And then he's like, and you know what the problem is? The problem is that we sinned. And so he calls the people to repentance. And he says, all right, let's do a communal repentance, which is, hey, we have sinned. We ran away. And then you might be expecting today for it to be a continuation of that theme. And then you're like, wait a minute. Hold up. Uh, Record scratch. Wait, dude, are we back in the pit? I thought we climbed out of the pit at the end of verse 18 in Lamentations 3. Dude, are we back in the pit? Yo, Gever, quick word with you. Seemed like we like started high and then we went super low and then we were like climbing out of the pit, like shining, you know, seeing, seeing the silver lining, maybe, no. Oh, back in the pit? Great, back in the pit. If you got that, uh, that, that feeling from this, you are exactly right. That is exactly what's going on today. But if you notice, we kind of end a little bit higher than us sinking back down. And so if you can imagine, lamentation starts like maybe at like a 10, and then we go down to a zero, and then we go up to like a 100, and then we go like to a 60, and then today we're like, oh gosh, we're back, we're back at zero. And then we're going to go up to like a, maybe a 50, and then like, if that makes sense. I realize I just tried to like give you numbers to a graph over audio, but go with me here. That is what we're looking at today. The first part, verses 43 to 54, we are sunk in the pit again. And then 55 to 63, God has seen. That's what I would title that. So the first one, 43 to 54, that's sunk in the pit. 
pit. 55 to 63, God has seen. It's this burst of hope. And then 64 to 66 is we get this plea for justice. And so we're going to jump in. So the first thing, you're right. If you felt like we were sinking again, we are. This is the giver's second, remember the giver's our strong man, this is his second complaint against God, and it sounds very similar to his first one, but instead of this time, his first one, if you remember, it was sort of like he was closed in, the walls were closing in around him. This one, it's a pit, like he's sinking down into this cistern, into this pit. And if you remember, there's another character from the scriptures that gets put into a pit by his enemies, into a cistern by his enemies. And if you're thinking back, it is Joseph. And so if you remember Joseph's brothers, they want to just kill him. Like, no, I can't really kill him. That'd be bad. Well, let's sell him into slavery. Okay, well, let's throw him in the cistern and let's leave him here. And then when all of a sudden the people came by, they're like, let's sell him into slavery to these Egyptians. That'll be great. No problem. And so this is obviously a reoccurring motif. This is not good. It is not good to be in a cistern. It is not good to be thrown into a pit below the ground. And it's it's a picture of really death, like this idea that you're being put below the ground. You're sinking as low as you can go. And so our strong man, who just yesterday gave us reasons to hope, just yesterday, he's like, yeah, and God has been good all the days of our life. And then he's like, oh, by the way, we're back in the pit. Yep, definitely the enemies have put me back in the pit. But it's almost as if the same thing happens. If y'all remember, we, we were closed in all around. The wild animal is like, you know, lashing at him. And then he says the name of Yahweh. And it's like, boom, he remembers Yahweh. And he's like, oh, you know what? I do remember who Yahweh is. There is reason to hope. And that same thing happens for us. There's this transition between 54 and 55 where it's as if him going right back into that pit for him going as low as he can go is a reminder not all has been lost. In fact, God has seen him. And he goes on and he talks about how God has not only seen him, he's heard his prayers, which is the exact opposite of what he's just said. He's just said God is clouded all around. He can't even hear our prayers. And he's going on and on about how bad things are and how low in the pit and the water is going to overwhelm him. He's definitely going to be covered over his head like he's going to drown. He's going to die. And he's like, and from this bottommost pit, I called on your name and you heard me. And you even said to me, not only did you hear me, this is a really beautiful moment. God says to him, hey, do not fear. And God pleads his cause and he redeems his life. It's crazy. I mean, this is an incredible transition for us. And it's a reminder that it's oftentimes in these moments of absolute bleakness when we have hit rock bottom, that there are reminders that even at the bottom, even in the pit, even in the muck in the mire, there are reasons to hope and to be reminded that God is still on our side. And then at the end of verse 63, after he talks about God has seen him and all that stuff, then we get this like, plea for justice. It's if it's almost like an imprecatory psalm or an, an imprecatory prayer. And imprecatory is this idea that uh, you would invoke or bring down judgment on someone else. And so we see these psalms in the, in the book of Psalms. Like there are times when you hear the psalmist say like, you know, cast down my enemies, deal justly with them. Like, like basically God go whoop them. Okay. Like it's time for you to open up a can on my enemies and whoop right? And so this is the plea for justice that we get at the end. And and it's a reminder that that though our strong man has already declared his own guilt, he is not confused about the fact that Babylon is guilty too. And so he has this, he's like, hey, listen, Babylon is also not innocent. And so would you please pay them back according to their own acts? And would you curse them? And would you pursue them in wrath and destroy them beneath the heavens? It's like crazy, strong, imprecatory language. 
But that language is very common in the scriptures. And I know that it makes us uncomfortable today. Because right now in the New Testament, we say you need to love your enemies. And so there is this idea of we have this language of lament. We have this that is that is mixed in with hope. We have this language of imprecatory, like God deal deal justly with my enemies, with also the call to love. And that brings like out this complexity of what it means to walk with God. It's to trust him to deal with our enemies while we are to pursue them in love and care. And yet we have these imprecatory prayers that are like, but also, but also how much longer until you go and do to Babylon what you did to us. And it's a reminder that this is the language that God accepts in our prayers. And it is confusing, I think, for so many of our modern sensibilities. And yet it's a beautiful reminder that we call on God for our rescue and for justice and all of these things. One of the things I want to point out is uh, if you'll notice, the strong man's prayer is actually very similar to daughter Zion. And so um, she she wants God to say, like, have you seen me? Like, it's all about God seeing. And that's one of the things that the strong man comes back to all the time is he wants God to see him. And if you remember at the end of daughter Zion, she's like, hey, they're not innocent either. So how much longer? Like, I know that we're not but also they're not. And this is some of that same language that we see the strong man using this idea that even though it was just for God to allow Babylon to discipline his children, it's not like Babylon's going to get off easy, right? They, they are still wrong as well. But this is a reminder y'all that so many times when God talks about how he's going to discipline, he starts with his own people. So he's going to deal with Babylon. He is absolutely going to deal with Babylon. But it's the same kind of idea in Jonah where he's like, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to declare to those pagans that if they don't repent, you know, harm's going to come their way. And Jonah's like, I don't want to do that. And what we see is God dealing first with Jonah and then in turn allowing the people of Nineveh to repent. It's this idea that as Christians, we spend so much time worried about other people's sin. And God's like, um, there there is a plank in your eye and you need to deal with that because when it it comes time for God to clean house, he always starts with his own house. And so just as a reminder, like, yes, this is, this is good and right that they would call on God for justice for Babylon, but it's also good and right that God would bring justice to, to Jerusalem as well. Okay. So I want to point out yesterday's pattern, like we talked about, was pit, hope, communal repentance. Today's pattern is pit, hope, cry for justice. And you're thinking, gosh, this is like kind of strange. I mean, it seems like it's a little disorganized. Wouldn't it make sense to put all of it maybe in one go around, like maybe put all the pit together and all the hope together and then just like repentance and a call for justice and yet hope. Like, why are we going up, down, up, down, up, down? And I want to remind you that or maybe point out to you what I love about yesterday and the day before and then today's section is it it's actually a really beautiful picture of what it really means to grieve and so you've probably heard people talk about the stages of grief and that term stages is almost misleading so you've probably heard people talk about well you know when you go through grief first there's denial and then there's anger and then there's bargaining and then there's depression and then finally acceptance and that idea that stages of grief, it's like as if like you're just going to go through them like cleanly and neatly. Like, okay, right now I'm just in denial of what happened, but tomorrow I'll go into anger and I'll be super ticked off and enraging for, I don't know, two, three weeks. That seems like a good amount of time. And then I'll bargain for like two, three weeks and then depression for like six months. And then 
bada bing, bada boom, clap my hands, we're done with it, we've accepted, we're good. That is so not what the human experience is. So instead of stages of grief, my counselor counseled me to think of them as cycles of grief. In other words, you're going to you're going to move through them multiple times and sometimes go backwards and sometimes go forwards. And then you might be in a place of acceptance and then the next day you wake up and something reminds you of the great loss that you had and then you're back in depression or you're back into anger. And it's not and and what she counsels me is, hey, that's not failure. The idea isn't that you would neatly move through stages, but instead that you would cycle through them, but always toward this idea of progress. That yeah, I'm back in these other stages, but I'm not as angry as the last time I was in them. I'm not as much in denial. I'm not as much in depression as I am, because I am in in some ways I'm moving forward. So yes, I'm cycling, but I'm I'm still progressing. Because grief is messy. And there are no clear categories. And some people just skip them all together. Like one of the things that's very true of people who lose someone to suicide is anger at the person who took their life. And sometimes for outsiders, that's really hard to understand because you're like, well, why wouldn't you just have pity and sorrow? But when you experience the kind of grief that you do when someone takes their life, what can happen is you get really angry at that person for hurting you and the ones that you love. And you know you know they weren't well, you know that they were hurting, you know that there was obviously an unbelievable amount of pain that led them to that decision. And so it's, you understand that it's like, it's almost ludicrous to be angry at them. And yet it's a very common thing. What's interesting about my grieving process, anger is an emotion I can access very easily, very easily. Enneagram 8, I can get angry over anything. You can just ask me to be angry with you and I'll be like, yeah, let's go. Let's go storm the castle. What are we doing? Okay, that's maybe not the best cause, but why not? I'll get angry with you. And what's really interesting about my grieving process is there really wasn't any moment that I was angry at my sister. And I had some friends tell me, well, I should expect that as I move through the grieving process. Now, was I angry at other things? (laughs) Yes. I was angry at so much. That was definitely a cycle that I went back to over and over again. It's a stage that felt very comfortable to me. But I never got angry at my sister. And so here's my point in all this is there's no, you grieve the way you live. You you grieve in the ways that God has designed you. You grieve in ways that, for those of you who are listening, which is all of you or else you wouldn't be hearing me say this, Sorry about Corey, my German Shepherd, making a cameo. There was somebody who had the audacity to ride their bike by our house, so she had to let them know she did not appreciate that. Back to my point. My point is it's just grief is, Lamentations 3 is almost a case study in grief. Pit, hope, pit, despair, calling out for justice, calling out for God to hear you. Where are you, God? Oh, you're right here, God. I'm in pain, and yet God is good, and God did this thing to me, and yet I trust in him, but also where are you? And you can't hear my prayers, but also you hear my prayers. And if you've been through the grieving process, what might sound like schizophrenia to others is really just, this is what it means to lament. And so this co-mingling in Lamentations 3, the whole chapter of hope and praise, and also lament, and imprecatory prayers, and these cries for justice, this like commingling and all of these things is a representation of the complexity of walking with God when you're human. That walking with God is not this simple cookie cutter, one size fits all, but instead we're allowed to be human. And part of being human is we can both cry and be hopeful that we can be angry and also repentant, 
that we can be scared but also confident that God is with us and we can be those things at the same time. And we can move through this grieving process toward a trust and a hope in the Lord, even if at moments snapshots of it don't look very hopeful. But when you look at the whole process, there's still an abiding hope and there's still an abiding walking with God and belief that he's going to be with us all the days of our life, even through these very dark and dreary days. All right, friends, if nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. But more importantly, the God who presides even over our grief He's crazy about you. Peace.